Welcome to Law Technology Now with host Monica Bay, Editor-in-Chief of ALM's award-winning magazine, Law Technology News. Hear the latest about technology for the legal community. If it's tech, it's a topic right here. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by Carbonite Business, online backup for your law office. Carbonite Business backs up your files automatically and continually, so you're always protected. Try it free at Carbonite.com and get two free months with offer code LTN. And Firm Manager, an entirely web-based secure practice management application from LexisNexis that lets you take your office with you wherever you go. Check it out at MyFirmManager.com. And good day. I'm Monica Bay, Editor-in-Chief of Law Technology News, and we have an absolutely terrific topic for you this month, um, iPads in the Courtroom. My guest today is Attorney James Munkus, and he's from the law firm of Hare, Wynn, Newell & Newton, based in Birmingham, Alabama, and he goes by the nickname of Jamie, and Jamie is going to talk to us today about a very sad case that involved uh, the death of a young police officer. And the tech angle on this is very interesting because I think he may have been one of the first lawyers to actually conduct the trial using only an iPad in the courtroom. And it's very, very interesting. He also used uh, one of three apps that have been developed so far, and we're going to talk with him shortly. And before I introduce you to him, I want to do our usual routine. Uh, First of all, thanking our two sponsors, Carbonite Business and Firm Manager from LexisNexis. We so appreciate your sponsoring our show. And as I always tell you, uh, there are three ways that you can listen to this podcast. First, on the ALM site, which is www.lawtechnologynow.com. Second, and equally, on the Legal Talk Network, which is, of course, legaltalknetwork.com. And because we're so cool, you can find us in the iTunes podcast library. Um, Jamie, let's start off by having you tell us a little bit about yourself. And uh, you are an attorney with Hare, Wynn, Newell, and Newton out of Birmingham, Alabama, correct? That's right, Monica. Thanks for having me. Um, I guess I've been a trial lawyer for uh, almost eight years now, so still somewhat learning my way around the courtroom. Um but that's about all we do is represent plaintiffs in litigation and court cases and really handle uh, a wide variety of, of work from medical malpractice to serious personal injury and that kind of thing. And the case we're going to talk today was very controversial in your area. Um, it was a very sad case. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened and the two aspects of the litigation before we start talking about how you used an iPad in the courtroom? Sure. Um, it was a particularly tragic case. Of course, anytime a police officer goes down, the whole community gathers around and reacts. Um this was a particularly senseless crime. Uh, what happened uh, essentially was a young 27-year-old police officer who'd been on the force for a few years responded to a uh, domestic disturbance call, just like the kind that he would get routinely uh, every other day. 
and it was at a local restaurant that he knew, and he showed up alone, parked his police car, uh, got a couple steps out of his police car, and was basically ambushed by what turned out to be um, the cook of the restaurant, who um, opened fire, and of course he was not prepared for that. There was no indication that there were uh, there was violence or, or guns involved, and um, he got hit. Unfortunately, his weapon jammed, and uh, he took two bullets to the head. And tell us a little bit about the background of that, uh, because there's some elements of the fact that it was at a restaurant that would become crucial in your case, which was the wrongful death case, not the criminal case. Exactly. Um, the assailant, of course, um, was charged with capital murder, and he was convicted. Uh, he sits now on death row. Our job, really, was to look into the case from the standpoint of the restaurant, Um we had some information suggesting that this employee, this cook, probably was under the influence of alcohol while he was on the job doing his work. Um, so we looked into that and started the process of gathering evidence to prove his intoxication. Under Alabama law, if we could prove that, number one, that he was intoxicated on the job, or that he merely was allowed to drink alcohol on the job, that was illegal. And if we could prove that and if we could link the alcohol and the intoxication to this terrible crime, um, then the restaurant would be responsible for that. And that's a version of a, what is commonly called, if I remember my law school, crim law, uh, the Dram Act? Dram Shop Law, exactly. So... The the so the gentleman was arrested. That was uh, Mr. Uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce it. I'm going to let you pronounce it for for me. Benito Alberon. So Mr. Alberon was convicted, and now you are in the process of looking into the wrongful death case. Um, your the case took place in Huntsville, Alabama, and that location had a big factor on how you decided to approach the trial. What was it about Huntsville that had you convinced that you had an unusually uh, 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 sophisticated potential jury? Well, that's a good point. Uh, Of course, we try to take that into account wherever we go, and there's different dynamics. But Huntsville, um, as a lot of folks may know, is home to um, NASA. They have a, a big center there. They have uh, probably hundreds of defense contractor companies there, Um, a whole lot of engineers, a whole lot of uh, technology folks, and just a very sophisticated, uh, very educated jury pool. This was near the Marshall Space Flight Center, correct? It was. And from what I understand about that, that probably means that these folks were not just well-educated, but they were also very tech-savvy by the nature of their work? I, I felt like they would be. I um, wasn't, um, it didn't confirm that directly, but that's that was our strong feeling it was. So fast forward, if you would, Jamie, and you're considering with your partner, you're about to go to trial, and as a former PI lawyer, I remember going through the process of 
how do we connect with the jury? What is, you know, how are we going to present the people we bring into the courtroom? Um, the approach we take for showing them evidence and, and, and I'm much older than you. And when I was practicing, one of the favorite, favorite devices were these big, what they called foam boards that would have a document blown up on them. How did you make the decision about to go with an iPad rather than using the more traditional, perhaps the more comfortable forms of presenting evidence in the courtroom? Sure, um, and and of course we we still use the foam boards, and I've I probably will use them uh, after this. But um, I guess a lot of factors kind of converged uh, and resulted in us settling on the iPad. Um, as you mentioned, uh, the jury pool was a consideration. Also, what was really important to us is that. We were trying a case that was a little bit uh, non-typical for us. It was not a malpractice case. It was not a product case. Um, so we didn't have voluminous medical records, and we didn't have thousands or tens of thousands of uh, corporate documents. We had nothing like that. We now, were in that kind of a case, you would more, I think most lawyers would, where you do have that kind of volume, that's something where many folks would turn to trial director or some of the other summations, some of the other products out there that help manage massive document cases. Am I am I right on that? Exactly. And that's that's what we typically do, but we we just felt like we had an opportunity here to do something different. Um frankly it would be more cost effective for the client. Uh, rather than incurring the cost of uh, a dedicated IT professional who has to run trial director for three days. Um, so a lot of factors in it, but we boiled our case down to about uh, 45 key documents that we would use over and over. And that's not a whole lot. Um, and uh, I think you could use easily twice or three times that many uh, with the iPad, but certainly it made it really easy to find exactly what we were looking for pretty much at any time with any witness during opening to closing. Uh-huh. Jamie, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about how you chose the apps and how you actually use the iPad in the courtroom. But first, we're going to hear a word from our two sponsors, Carbonite Business and Firm Manager from LexisNexis. We'll be right back. You've heard of Firm Manager. You've seen ads for Firm Manager. Now you can try Firm Manager free for 30 days at www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Firm Manager is the web-based matter management application from LexisNexis that lets you run your practice anywhere, anytime, including your desktop, laptop, mobile phone, or iPad. Take the free 30-day trial today at www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN and spend less time focusing on clerical work and more time on practicing law. Backing up your business files can be a hassle and it's hard to know if you're doing it right. That's why more law offices are using Carbonite Business Online Backup. With Carbonite Business, your files are backed up automatically and continually. They're stored safely off-site and each employee can access their backed up files privately on any computer or on their smartphone or iPad. 
Try it free at Carbonite.com and get two free months with offer code LTN. That's Carbonite.com, offer code LTN. You never have enough friends or followers, right? Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn too. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com. And we are back. Again, my guest today is James Munkus. And uh, James, you go by Jamie is your your preferred uh, name from what you told me, right? I do. Oh, terrific. Um, In your story that ran in in our current issue of Law Technology News, you outlined the process you went through in both deciding to use the iPad, but also what apps you chose on it. Tell us about the three apps that you considered and – uh, how you made the decision to go with TrialPad. Sure. Um, when we started evaluating doing something different, uh, the iPad was kind of foremost on my mind. didn't really know what that meant at the time. Um, just knew that, hey, I'd heard that, that this had occurred before. And so uh, th- there was really not a whole lot of resources at that time, Monica, out there. But I just went on the App Store uh, I found three apps that looked like they were designed for trial presentation and uh, downloaded all of them. I guess this was before we made the final decision to do it, but this was then in the exploratory phase. And so I got all of them uh, at the time, and I think it's still the same today. That would be Evidence, uh, I think, which is about $5. That would be Exhibit A, a $10 app, and that would be TrialPad. Uh, which I think retails for about $90. And how did you decide which of them to use? You know, it was just kind of a uh, feel thing. I'm uh, a very visual person, and so I wanted something that just felt right, that looked right, um, and the user interface, I guess, is what I was really interested in. Um, There were a couple little glitches with, well, frankly, with all of them at that time, um, but TrialPad was, to me, uh, the one that was most logically laid out. It had a folder structure. Um, you could order your documents the way you wanted to. You could see them on the left side of the, the iPad where that the jury doesn't see them. And um, it just had a really nice um, design that I felt comfortable with, and it worked well. We talked a little bit before about about the foam pads and the foam boards and other other choices that you had made. Explain to our listeners, if you would, what do you consider when you're figuring out how to approach the jury? What what factors came in, and why were you so attracted to the idea that the iPad was so unobtrusive, if you will? Well, of course, when we're running trial director. Um I guess we do that out of necessity a lot of times because you just there's really no alternative in many cases. But when we're doing that, we have uh, just another human being in the courtroom, uh, and we have a line of communication with that person. And so sometimes that I feel like that can kind of interrupt the flow with the jury. 
you're communicating with someone, uh, pull up uh, document bait stamp such and such. And with this, it was really, it, it was minimal technology in the sense that there was very little physically um, to come between us and the jury and the evidence in the jury and the documents in the jury. So it made um, it more personal in a sense? I, you know, I just, I just felt like it did. Um, I just felt like at any time uh, you can walk up to the council table or you can bring this thing with you. It is not big or bulky, and uh, it's kind of natural just to pinch that screen and um, and show the jury exactly uh, what you want to focus in on. Tell us how you used it for, which I'm sure the listeners are particularly interested in, you had a variety of things you had to show them. You wanted to play the audio of the 911 tape. You had documents you wanted to exhibit and perhaps highlight. Can you walk us through a couple of examples of how you were able to do all of that? Just And I assume that you were projecting images up to a projector. Can you walk us through a couple of examples of those to give the listeners a sense of how you logistically used it? Sure. Um, so among the documents that we had and that we used, we had um, certain documents that just came with the case. They were documents from the restaurant or uh, statements from witnesses and that kind of thing. Uh, we also made our own slides to kind of highlight the portions of the law we wanted to focus in on. Um, with our own slides, we could kind of make them the way we wanted. With the documents that uh, we gathered in production, uh, you know, as you know, sometimes those are poor copies and hard to read and hard to make out and all of those kinds of things. Um, so, and, and of course, with the statements, um, most of those are handwritten statements that are difficult to read, um, you know, on any system. So, uh, many times we found it beneficial to put those on the screen and then blow up the section that we were talking about, making it real big, as clear as we could for the jury, and then as we go along, uh, highlight and kind of annotate uh, what we were focusing on. And tell us a little bit about the 911 tape, which was so compelling. It really was. The 911 call um, came from uh, the assailant's wife, uh, actually. And it was a very emotional call, and she was upset and afraid and in tears. Um, so we really, from the opening statement, I believe we even played that. Um, we did it on the iPad. At that time, uh, none of the apps supported just flat audio. And so I just popped out of the TrialPad app and popped into the native iPod app that comes with the iPad and um, played the audio tape hooked up to some just normal uh, computer speakers. And it was, a, you basically played it as an MP3 file? We did. I, it, it, I'm sure it didn't come in that format, but obviously we would have just converted it to that uh, beforehand. Now to, to uh, hear the audio, uh, you brought your own computer speakers. Can you tell the audience a little bit about that? Sure. Um, we brought two sets of speakers. Just We didn't actually know exactly what kind of dynamics we'd have, especially when you get everybody in the courtroom. We brought the 
I call it an auditorium-like speaker. It may not be the technical name for it, but we brought the kind of mono speaker that we usually use for trial director, and it is very powerful and can be very loud. We ended up not using that. We ended up just using a pair of uh, you know cheap computer speakers um, that really turned out to be fine, and it was plenty loud enough for everybody to hear. And, of course, we used that for the uh, video deposition as well. Now, everybody who ever uses any form of tech always lives in sheer terror about battery life. Uh, was that something you were worried about? And, you know, how did you make sure that the that the unit didn't die in the middle of the most important piece of news you were going to present to them? Sure. I guess I was a little bit concerned about that. Um, the iPad has a very long battery life, about 10 hours, I think. But I just didn't know because I'm not used to running that thing all day on a daily basis, which is pretty much what we were doing. Um, It turned out not to be a problem at all. Uh, Of course, you want to make sure you start the day with a full charge. And then if as soon as we take a lunch break, just out of pure precaution, I would put it on the charger because you cannot project um, and charge the iPad at the same time. So uh, we were we were aware of that. Um, I think I can say that TrialPad I think is is working on an AirPlay function that is going to be really cool and really exciting that will help in that regard um, as well. And tell us how you used it to mark hot docs. Sure, um, TrialPad makes that really easy. Um, And maybe the best example I can give is some of these witness statements became uh, very, very important. And as I said, some of them were hard to read. And so as we would go through those with the witness on the stand, we would obviously use the annotation tools um, to highlight the portions we wanted to focus on. Now, with TrialPad, and I think it's the same with the other apps, you may uh, beautifully annotate a document from beginning to end, multiple pages. And when you click on the next document and move on, uh, you've lost all those nice annotations. So TrialPad builds in a hot docs button. Um, So at the end of your annotations, when you have the document looking just the way you want it, hit the hot docs button and it saves your annotations. And so we could bring that same document back in closing argument that we had highlighted and annotated, and the jury recognized those are the same annotations that they made with uh, Officer Smith, for example. Well, we have, I have time for one more question for you, which is tell our audience, if you would, Jamie, about the verdict. Well, uh, we were very pleased, and, and our clients um, were uh greatly appreciative of the jury's verdict. They um, awarded $25 million against the individual um, who uh, obviously committed this terrible crime, and they decided to punish the restaurant um, to the tune of about $12.5 million. Um, and it, it was just very satisfying because they obviously sent the message that um, hey, we're not going to tolerate you not following the ABC regulations. And so 
everyone was very pleased with that. In a case like that, where someone probably is not uh, a, a, a high-paid person, is that more a symbolic victory, or is that something that that they would get a significant amount of the of the award? Well, with the individual, certainly um, that you know, in the end, does boil down to a symbolic victory. Uh, as I've mentioned, he's on death row. And he didn't he didn't have anything to begin with. Um, with the restaurant, uh, you know that restaurant's on the hook for their portion of the verdict. And um, at this stage, we're still um, going through the efforts of collecting on that. Um, there certainly won't have uh, that amount that the jury awarded, but uh, we'll get what we can. Well, it sounds like it was a uh, very challenging trial, very sad trial. And uh, is there anything at the end of the day that, as you look back, you would do differently? Um, uh, or would you go again and use the iPod on your next case? I don't know of anything that I would do differently, uh, frankly, except, um, you know, I, th- I think it bears mentioning we tried this case in April and... Since that time, Trialpad and, and I'm sure some of the other apps have um, done some huge improvements. And so I think as time passes, it only gets easier uh, for the sole practitioner or real, really anybody uh, to take an iPad into trial and to do pretty much whatever you need to do with it. Well, Jamie, if anyone wanted to reach you, how would they uh, uh, contact you? Probably the best thing is uh, through email, and it's real simple. It's just Jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at H-W-N-N.com. Well, I thank you so much for your time. We could have spent three hours on this topic. It's so fascinating. Um, I really appreciate it. We've been talking with Jamie Munkus, and I want to give my usual shout-outs of thank you at the end to Jill Winwer. David Jasper and David Snow here in New York at ALM and in Boston to Lou Ann Reeb, Scott Hess, Mike Huckman, and Kate Kenny at the Legal Talk Network. I want to remind you that you can find this podcast on three places lawtechnologynow.com, legaltalknetwork.com, and because we're cool, the iTunes Podcast Library. Uh, and a final reminder, there's no crying in baseball or technology. I'm Monica Bay. We will see you in October for the next edition of Law Technology Now. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Law Technology Now is produced by the broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening. Join Monica Bay for next month's podcast on the technology issues affecting the legal profession today.